I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm, please visit excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the conversation on Colloquium. Today I have with me John Lord. He is the managing director at Music City Baseball, responsible for all the day-to-day business operations, and he has 30 years of experience in the real estate development, sports, and entertainment fields. So John, I did a little bit of homework on you before this and a little bit on that intro that I included. You, you've got a very interesting and extensive background in things outside of baseball and sports in general. At this stage of your career life, what is it about baseball that that motivated you to take this on today? Well, I've been involved in uh, three different baseball acquisitions, starting with Dodgers. Uh, and I was kind of brought in on that just on some historic relationships that I had with Ron Olson. And Ron at the time was working uh, with the Cohen Group. So my involvement there was just uh, pulling in uh, the relationship that I had with Tony LaRusso. And Tony was going to focus more on the baseball side. Uh, my, I was going to get involved and advise on the real estate side. And, and, and Artel was uh, going to do the uh, business side of baseball. So that kind of started it. I think what we we all learned from that experience, specifically uh, Tony and I, was just, you know, the interest in, you know, getting involved, you know, and supporting our efforts to pursue an ownership interest in a Major League Baseball franchise at some point. Always been uh, very passionate about baseball. And uh, so, you know, I proceeded with that and we worked, a little, you know, we worked on both the Mariners and also the Marlins. I helped Dave Stewart on the Marlins. And what kind of intrigued me with these three different, three different that. Da- Three different teams or acquisitions that I was involved in was really just, you know, what became very apparent is that there's, you know, that nobody's really focusing on what what the problem is or what the need is. And 
when I completed the project for Dave and looking at Miami, and I was really, again, focused on trying to c- accumulate enough real estate to be able to create an entertainment district, sports and entertainment district, really just for the purposes of getting people there non-game day and then the experience during game day. So again, the problem really is, you know, a team can't really relocate or they're do the major league baseball can't consider expansion until you have a ballpark that they can play it, right? And if you look at the, you know, you know, sort of the international options and, and, the, and the options in the U.S. and the conversation that's been going on with major league baseball for the last 15 plus years is they'd love to expand. There's an interest in expansion, but until Oakland um, and Tampa Bay are resolved that, you know, expansion is not going to be considered. So, Really, what I took on was just looking at eight or so different markets in the U.S., two international markets, trying to find a location where you can create a real estate opportunity large enough that you could fit within that a sports and entertainment district and you could build a ballpark that's really not a ballpark because you have to figure out how to really pay for it, right? Because there's not a lot of public or state money available. So, you know, I was intrigued as I went through different markets and as I came through Nashville specifically, you know, I felt like there was an opportunity to do something like that because the venue itself or the arena or venue itself uh, really could be geared towards residencies for music, corporate uses, other sports uses in a market like Nashville or like Las Vegas that really is a high demand tourist market. You know, there's, you know, obviously the the, the travel, the airports are, are growing, the markets are growing, the corporate markets are growing. So, I, you know, we decided to kind of focus on Nashville. Out of curiosity, who else is on the short list? You know, I mean, again, this is just my, you know, <clears throat> this is my, my work, so my opinion, right? So, I think the two markets that, that work, you know, when really you use, if, if you if you remove baseball out of the equation, you're looking for, well, you can leave baseball in the equation, but you have to, you have to, the lens is really, will this market generate enough revenue to be revenue neutral, or revenue positive, right? So my feeling is that Major League Baseball and or its owners are not going to consider relocation or expansion into a market unless that market can show that it can be a revenue neutral or revenue contributor. Um, you know, to the system, the revenue share system, you know, that's one piece of it. And then if the other lens that you're, you're filtering or the pieces of the puzzle you're trying to put together or real estate and a venue that I described around residencies and ability to pay for it with limited or no public financing, you know, the only two markets, in my opinion, that sort of meet kind of all that criteria and certainly exceed it in are Nashville and Las Vegas. And obviously Vegas has become a, a place where it, it's proven that they can support, you know, professional sports. In terms of, of Nashville in, in particular, you, you mentioned this a number of times that it, the vision is for an entertainment complex. That seems to be the trend that most sports are going into. Could you flesh that out a little bit more, what the vision is beyond just it being a baseball stadium? Well, I mean, I think you're looking for you know how sports has evolved over the last 10 years and specifically kind of continues to do that. You know, and, you know, if you take Atlanta as example or St. Louis Boulevard Village or what they're doing in in Washington um, as well. I mean, I think you're trying to create an experience, a game day or non-game day experience for, for, you know, for families, for fans that, you know, there's a reason to go to the ballpark early. There's a reason to stay late and there's a reason to interact during the game and or non-game days. You're looking at, you know, reasons to go there for, it could be a concert, corporate event, you know, it could be, you know, SEC championships. It could be a variety of different opportunities to, you know, participate. And you really want to look at a covered condition facility where you can accommodate that. And then it ties to revenue. So there's revenues you share during the game days and there's revenues you keep. And I think anybody 
who's got, you know, a franchise, whatever the sport is, is looking to create that kind of experience and are looking to move or relocate to those experiences. And you've seen it in basketball, you've seen it in football. Uh, baseball's done a great job and Atlanta did a brilliant job of, of, you know, what they do now and the experience that I've been there several times. But as we facilities like Atlanta and also I would, I would mention the new ballpark of Texas that we toured a couple of times, which I think is, is very well done. I think the experience is really more open corporate areas, more club level areas, uh, more gathering areas for, you know, uh, you know, things that people are going to just sit in their seats, <clears throat> you know, or their suites, you know, around. So I think by design, you have to take that into account. And I think the future of this ballpark that we'll end up, you know, building in in uh, Nashville will be really an experience where, you know, you, you'll, it'll be an experience where if you're, you know, around a musical venue, you work, you go to residency, you'll be able to expand and shrink it down, you know, to corporate venues. I think the experience for baseball, you know, will be factored in, of course, factored in because it's important to get that approval from you know, major league baseball and its owners to be able to, to accommodate that. But I think the experience would be very, very unique. I think club levels would be brought up to the top and the experience would be, you know, really geared more family centric. You mentioned Oakland and in Tampa Bay, those seem to be the dominoes need to fall before something moves here. And those would obviously be, you know, relocations potentially. Are you purely focused on expansion or is relocation still in play in your mind? No, my strategy to coming into this market was really to solve you know, the two pieces of the puzzle that needed to be put in place before, you know, a team can either uh, consider relocating or expansion can be considered. I can't really control what's happening or our group can't control what's happening in Oakland or Tampa, but we can control and focus on, you know, meeting those two objectives here in Nashville. So, you know, our focus has been around a real estate development deal and then, you know, large enough to accommodate a sports and entertainment district within that, that we could build a ballpark that really acts more like a, an arena than it does a ballpark <clears throat> and to find a way to finance that or show that that can be financed, you know, prior to, you know, relocation or expansion. I think Tampa and Oakland are going through the process that they have to go through. I think Major League Baseball is actively involved in that. We, you know, we can't control that at all. And, but I think if we can solve those two pieces of the puzzle, I think we're in a position where it's really a, pl- a plug and play option for a relocation team and or it's an easy you know, it's an easy option for MOB to consider expansion because, you know, really what we've done in the market in this last three years is not only those pieces of the real estate side, but we've done an extensive feasibility and economic analysis of the market to really show that uh, the market works, you know, from a revenue standpoint. And we're we're updating that now on the current sites that we're kind of focusing on. You know, one of the one of the concerns that we had early on was corporate support because this would be the fourth professional team in this market. But really what's happened in Nashville, I think everybody's seen over the last three years is the corporate support just continues to grow. You know, with the announcement of Oracle and Amazon's expansion and then Alliance Bernstein. And I think there's there's a host of others, you know, that are in the, in the queue ready to be considering this market. Yeah, that was going to be one of the things that I wanted to get into. I've been a Nashville resident for 15 years now. I'm a huge hockey fan. And early on with the Predators, a big knock against them was lack of corporate support, the boxes and, and naming rights and, you know, famously almost lost the team. I was at a number of networking events that have been over the last, you know, couple of years. It seems like corporate relocations are only accelerating here. I don't think that's going to be a big barrier for you all. What I am curious about, you mentioned how it's going to be privately financed. Were there any initial conversations on a public-private partnership or were they dead in the water 
from day one with the state or local government? You know, I mean, I, I think early on when, we, when I started looking at the market, Megan Berry was in office here. And, uh, you know, we've gone through three different mayors in the current mayor. You know, we've had conversations that, you know, but, but I think until we're ready to kind of present our package, I think it's just been pretty obvious that, and, and really we focused on, you know, can this be built around not using or limited public financing and no public financing? We've made you know, statements on some of the areas that we looked at that we think that we could accomplish that objective. As we start focusing on other other sites, we need to, you know, we need to evaluate that. I don't, you know, once we enter into conversations and we've got a site locked down and we start that dialogue, I mean, I think we're going to look at, you know, whatever support we could get from the state and local support. But the objective is really to, you know, finance this privately around, you know, what I had mentioned. It's, you know, ace, baseball is 81 days a year, 20% of the time, you know, more if you're lucky. But I think we got to look at the non-game day, you know, revenues and just look at baseball as a tenant and start looking at residencies. I think, you know, COVID certainly has had an impact on baseball, obviously it had an impact on, on everyone and everybody's business in the world. But I think what it's done is it is also opened up an opportunity to really focus on residencies, you know, in Nashville for, you know, Darius Rucker, Justin Timberlake, Garth Brooks, Eric Church, you know, you start going down the list and start to think, okay, well, if one or all of those committed to perform here on a regular basis or an extended period of time, what does that look like? You know, so when we start looking at evaluating that, you know, it's really with the airport expansion, that hotel expansion, you've got flights coming in from Asia, you've got flights coming in from Europe, you've got, you know, I think the expansion of the airport, the central location of Nashville. And that's what everybody really forgets, how centralized this market is. You know, I mean, I would I would say that that, you know, as we evaluate that, and we have already spent a lot of time thinking about that, you know, it, it makes it makes a lot of sense because it's really about can you sell that out every day for a week, you know, every Saturday night for a year, and then start running those numbers. And then again, focusing on backing into it where the baseball component fits. And then you start looking at, you know, working closely with, you know, Butch Spearden, you know, the you know, Convention of Visitors Bureau talking about, you know, how can you be a value add to the convention and in, in the hotel facilities here? And, you know, what kind of things could be, you know, that that are that either are, you know, added to or booked, you know, in addition to, you know, in that on that surface, you know, and how could you tie in the hospitality component in that and add to, you know, add to the overall, you know, I, I think just the overall experience that people are, are having, you know, in this market, bringing their conventions, you know, coming here for sports and just coming here to see, you know, people perform. So I think we're just trying to coordinate those efforts. At some point when we get to the table and we'd love to, you know, have conversations with the Ryman, you know, Opryland, you know, and just try to, you know, just do a complete patch, package experience for somebody coming into town that would, you know, want to go downtown Broadway, want to attend the game, want to attend, you know, experience. So that's that's what we're hoping to accomplish. Yeah, and as you mentioned, a lot of rumors about direct flights coming from Tokyo, Seoul, and, and maybe more from Europe. And again, that Vegas model seems to make a lot of sense, especially given what's happening with Nashville itself. Can you comment at all about location or timeline or what you envision as kind of the physical plant of this stadium? Yeah, our original objective was when we focused on the market at the beginning of 2019 after Stone's follow-up analysis, um, was that we would focus on looking at all the surrounding counties and again to find a large enough piece of property. You know, there's a lot of early focus on the East Bank around the Titans facility, but as we, you know, kind of progressed and I think the Titans plans progressed, I think it, be, it became clear that it wasn't really a good fit. I think, you know, they they had, you know, they had designs and obviously had control through the lease and they had some objectives and they're forking Metro on their plans. And so, you know, we'll still at some point, you know, consider that area as an option, but 
as we start looking and, you know, expanding, we've, we've, we spent a lot of time looking at TSU and maybe a, a partnership there that could meet the needs of some of their student objectives and educational objectives. And, you know, frankly, their sports objectives as they grow their sports program and just a raising awareness of the university. And some of the things that we could bring to the table as a benefit, you know, in addition to, you know, seriously doing, you know, some consideration of the neighborhood. I mean, our, our brand is connected to, you know, the Negro Leagues, you know, history and, it's always been in our DNA, you know, ever since we kind of came across the opportunity early on was that, you know, it's it's a unique situation to be able to preserve and honor history by creating history and becoming the first, you know, major league team connected to a team and a name from the Negro League. But as we learn more and as we continue to partner with the Negro League's baseball museum to support their objectives and their supporting ours, you know, we started to look at, you know, that opportunity at TSU with the historical Black College University. I think there's several in that area. There's Fitz, um, Harry, and there's a Christian college there as well. And also the neighborhood, you know, what the neighborhood, the history of the neighborhood in Jefferson, there's such rich history there. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of history in that neighborhood, the Ted Williams Golf Course. I think there's been a lot of promises, you know, made to the neighborhood. So I think, you know, we're so early on in considering something like that, but it's one of those unique properties that when you consider it, there's a lot of other factors you have to, you know, factor in. You have to reach out early on to the neighborhood and to the university and to the state and locally and say, hey, look, we think this might make sense, but let's work together and evaluate this opportunity so it sort of meets everybody's needs and everybody's a partner in it. So to try try to take a unique approach there. So, you know, that's something we're giving strong considerations to as as we look at other other sites. And and you alluded to this earlier in your your statement, but have the have the Predators, have the Titans, has the National Soccer Club, have those folks been helpful, standoffish, too early to say? I'm curious what those conversations have looked like. Well, I mean, I think publicly, you know, I mean, after we sort of fo- stopped focusing on East Bank, I think the tights or Major League Baseball come to the market. You know, I haven't really had a lot of conversations with Preds other than, you know, just really kind of watching their success. I mean, because one of the things that we did evaluate when we start looking at this market continue to do is their success and what they've been able to accomplish. You know, because really hockey in this market, if you said that 10 years ago, it was a different conversation than it is today. From our analytics vantage point, it really factors in. So if you told me 10 years ago, we'd be looking at hockey as a, you know, something that we had to compare with major league baseball, you know, corporate ownership, you know, like fan attendance and experience. I would have, I, I wouldn't have, you know, I would have been, you know, I wouldn't have said that that would, would be correct. But today, I mean, it's really, it's a, it's a major factor. And then I think soccer, I mean, the intriguing thing about soccer in Johnny room, I think is, you know, I think he's done, he and his family have done so much for this community and his success here you know, is well-deserved and his involvement is, is just, you know, I mean, I think it's fantastic. We've had conversations with him and, you know, because it would be what we thought early as a direct competitor. And I think he was very supportive. You know, I think he's, he and his family want what's best for, you know, the community. And I think with support major league baseball coming to the market, I think they're going to have great success. I mean, I attended their first game and I was amazed at how many people were there. I think with their new facility, you know, we, you know, we have season tickets. We're excited about that. And I think they're the demographic there, I think, and the attendance and the experience that they're trying to create is similar to the experience that we're trying to create or the experience that all these markets are trying to create, you know, uh, or teams like the Predators having Fifth and Broadway and, and having, you know, built by Burfield Properties, a sort of add-on, bolt-on to their entertainment experience, along with, the, you know, Broadway and then uh, Titans, too. I think that's kind of what they're, where they're headed. They're trying to kind of create that same experience around their facility in the future. You know, you almost have to live here as you have to experience events, you know, pre-COVID, that there could be a number of things going on in the city and they're all full. 
And they're all sold out, whether it's at Bridgestone, at the Titan Stadium, and or Ascend. I think, every, you know, the, the city itself, which specifically, I think, has done a brilliant job in, you know, turning the city into a destination. What was it about the potential East Bank location that turned off the Titan so much? Was it just proximity, parking? <clears throat> I mean, it seemed like that was a real deal breaker for them. Well, I mean, I think, you know, early on, our vision was to create a sports and entertainment family experience there, you know, with a football and baseball facility in, you know, in, in close proximity. And we felt it made sense, you know, early, we thought it might be a good a way to facilitate their ability to restructure their bonds and to get the improvements that are needed for the facility that they, they plan on doing. I think as time went on, I think they just realized that, hey, we feel like, you know, to meet our needs and our objectives through their ownership group, that they wanted to do their own thing and didn't really see, you know, I, I don't think they had a negative opinion about Major League Baseball or being here or, but I think, you know, it's, it's there, it's, you know, it's kind of their heel. They've been here forever and you know, you got to respect that, you know, uh, they've been here 20 plus and, you know, they, they've had a lot of, uh, they have a lot of passion about, you know, putting a winning franchise and then building a facility that they could host, you know, potential other events there and potentially a Super Bowl. So, you know, you just have to respect that. So I want to pivot to some larger scale issues that are probably unfair questions for you, but I want your opinion on them. We're filming this or recording this in, in January of the beginning of the year, 2022, Lockout seems to be looming. We'll see, you know, if people report spring training, et cetera. But is that something that you just can't think about? It's outside of your control, but at the same time, it must factor in some of your decision-making process and must color a lot of these conversations you're having with other groups, right? You know, I mean, again, it's one of those things where, you know, and, and there's people that, you know, constantly send me text messages or emails or share information with me or call me. And I mean, you know, our position is really just to stay very focused on our objectives because this is a unique situation given my background and experience. I think I understand the strategy required to solve the problem. So if we stay focused on that and spend 100% of our efforts every day on that, I think everything else will take care of itself. I mean, whether... You know, I can't control what happens in the CBAs. I can't control what's happening with Tampa or Oakland um, or anything else. And I think our, you know, our, you know, our core philosophy and internally with our staff and everybody else that's involved, you know, just stays, you know, pretty steadfast on, you know, let's, let's solve, let's solve the problem and let's, let's accomplish the objective. So along those lines, things that you can't control, but you've been in the baseball world for a very long time. You're obviously passionate. There's been a lot of talk over the last 10 years about the speed of the game, the length of the games, the falling of viewership, especially in the playoffs amongst younger people. Do you think there should be some fundamental rule changes to spur more engagement within the younger community into baseball? You know, that's a really good question. I mean, that's something we, you know, we, we talk about a lot, you know, but I also think it ties into what I think part of our objectives are is to create a the fan experience when you come to the game. You know, I mean, even me, I can't sit down and watch a whole game and, you know, sit in the seat. I'm always walking around. And when I go to any ballpark in the country, I'm hardly ever in a seat. And, you know, I, I think that there, you know, there's certainly a demographic that you got to, you know, acknowledge and respect, you know, and, but I also think baseball really needs to, to, to focus on that fan experience. And I think fan experience is, is game day experience, right? It's, you know, I, the length of the game, I can't control any of those things, but what we hope to control is your experience when you come to the game, where there's, there's experiences that you're, you know, excited about being early and staying late 
And during the game, the game's going on, you're participating in that, but you're also participating in other things that, that are within that facility. And, and it could be a music venue at some point, you know, smaller venue, like a smaller version of a sim within the facility that's sort of outside the area, you know, who's involved during, you know, the, the seventh inning stretch, you know, who's playing before or after the game, you know, what's happening around that. And I think like when I go to Atlanta, there's a ton of things for kids to do. There's a ton of things for parents to get involved with. And I think you want to meet everybody's objectives. And I think, you know, the other thing too is merchandise. I think basketball and the NFL have done a brilliant job. I think part of our objective for the national stars and the brand, the stars and branding the stars, you know, is to make that, you know, make that a game day type experience, you know, so that the players' uniforms are different and unique and that there's opportunities to purchase things and participate and you know, technology is going, you know, going at such a rapid pace. Well, I think that's going to play a big part in the experience of game day as well. Yeah, I can say from my personal experience, I've got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. They love baseball, but especially the playoffs, The some of the timing on the broadcasts are really challenging for a parent. And, and I was reflecting on this. I grew up a Mets fan watching the 30 for 30 and Once Upon a Time in Queens. Some of these playoff games are matinee games, which, you know, maybe early early rounds now that happens, but pretty inconceivable that that would be World Series games during the day these days. So something that I'm sure Major League Baseball is very well aware of and that they are trying to address. But you talked about some other ballparks. Who do you think who's done, you know, these new ballpark developments, who do you think's really nailed it? And what are the common characteristics that you've seen across those developments? Well, I mean, I think Atlanta did a good job, you know, in locating location, right? I mean, I think what they, you know, looking at a site, drawing consensus circles around where the fan base comes from, you know, spending that kind of energy into it, I think, you know, is, is certainly part of what you have to do. Facilities itself, I mean, there's so many, you know, amazing baseball ballparks, you know, in this country. I, I you know, I had been really impressed by what Texas has done. You know, once you get inside that facility and once you look at, you know, specifically sort of the underbelly of that ballpark and the load in and load out docks. And so it's like a little city down there, you know, and you can drive semis in and out and, you know, drive in circles if you want to down there. It's, it's incredible. That experience connected to the entertainment district, but also some of the, the experiences that you have within that ballpark. I mean, they've, they've really taken the suites down to a lower field level. Um and, and try to increase the fan experience. And I think that's really what it's all about. It's, you know, I think it's really got to be designed that way. So that, that's one of the, you know, the ballparks that I think is, is kind of heading, you know, built. And I think it's, it's, it's where I think the future holds. So moving forward, where do you think the biggest hurdle is? You know, you have a great ownership group. It seems like a lot of star power. Nashville is growing you know, a go-go. I mean, it, it continues to just go gangbusters. There's a lot of people moving here, a lot of corporate relocations that we covered, the flights, et cetera. But in your mind, if you were to have two or three things that kind of keep you up at night about being able to execute, uh, what would those be? Well, I mean, I think, you know, there's several, right? I mean, the real estate's a big factor into it. Um, I think the ballpark or that thing, I, I think that that has a lot of momentum, right? And I also think once the real estate piece is more defined and our partners that we could bring to the table on that, I think people will be impressed. I think the the media opportunity here is something that hardly anybody ever talks about because you really have to look at what Atlanta's, you know, has, you know, it's really the largest footprint of all sports, you know, controlling the media market. But as, you know, this market opens up, you know, I think there's such an opportunity here for, you know, whether, you know, what, whether it's regional sports networks or what the future may hold for companies like Amazon, you know, to do something unique and different, you know, here. So that's, that's obviously an exciting piece. You know, and the ownership part too, I think a lot of people have, you know, have, 
questioned, I wouldn't say criticized, but questioned or, you know, who's our, you know, who's our majority or who's the multi-billionaire. And, you know, my comment to everybody is, look, you know, our strategy here in coming to this market was, you know, we have investors behind us. We've got a core group of people that could step up to the table. But until you solve those two objectives of a ballpark, if it's real estate at a ballpark, you know, it's pointless to really focus on what that ownership group looks like. Because, you know, what we've done is pulled in a lot of local owners, smaller owners, to be a part of the experience and make it more of a community-based. I don't know what the economics of baseball are going to look like going forward. We don't know the outcome of CBAs. I don't, I'd love to have this market look at what that ownership stack looks like, you know, going forward. But if we had all that, those pieces together, you also got to factor in relocation. So if this is a Tampa Bay relocation, well, that's a, a conversation that, you couldn't have if you had our owners standing up right now saying, I'm doing it because that doesn't work. So we're trying to facilitate a plug and play option for a team like Tampa to consider this market or build an ownership stack that we can do, we can put together as it, once we get, you know, get those other pieces solved and get the rights to the market. The interesting thing about this opportunity or unique uh, uh, piece of this opportunity is the connection to the brand, right? The stars, the Negro Leagues. Our partnership with the Negro Leagues, you know, brand and just the conversation around, you know, equity. And we take that very serious. So a diverse ownership group, you know, is a big part of our organization throughout our organization has just become something we, you know, we take, we take serious at all levels. We have a DEI committee. We, you know, we do a lot of community engagement, community think tanks. We spend a lot of time on the partnership with the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and collaborating on the brand and how to how to really focus on, you know, like I said, you know, bringing the Negro Leagues to the major leagues, you know, honoring and creating history, you know, honoring, preserving and honoring history by creating history. And the stories that if you've never been to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and met Bob Kendra, you know, it's something you're missing out on because that experience alone will change, change your world. It just will. He's, you know, I think he's passionate. I think he talks about the experience of the Negro Leagues and how you know, sports, you know, brings people together, unites people. And I think that's our focus, right? So I guess if you said the hurdles and some of the things that keep me up at night, I mean, and again, we work closely with Dave Stewart and others. We're trying to put together a, an ownership group of, you know, that's diverse and, you know, certainly has a black ownership component to it and an equity component, you know, throughout this process. Yeah. You touched on one of the things that I initially thought of, which was this TV you know, sharing revenue and how that would work out. When I first moved to town, I got, was really confused how people here locally would be Cardinals fans, Braves fans, Reds fans. They were all kind of chopped up. And then I realized, well, it was radio, right? And it was depending on, you know, what radio station your dad grew up listening to. And, and that was your sports affinity um, or team affinity. How much of an issue do you think that will be cutting into some of the the revenue sharing with with the, you know, markets that are within three, five hours of here? Well, again, it's something that we can't control. I mean, Major League Baseball will have to, you know, be a part of that conversation if we can get to the point, whether it's relocation or expansion. And I think when we cross that intersection, I think it's just going to be a negotiated deal. I mean, I think there's, you know, a three hour, you know, I, I mean, I, I think that if, if you put the stars here and you had the ability to compete with the Braves, the Cardinals, the Cubs, the Reds, I mean, I think people travel and I think it's, this market has grown so much that there's such a demand here, whether it's here or in the Carolinas or in the South, you know, to be able to divide that market up so that it works for everybody. And I think this market specifically for 
a media market, both television and radio, internet. I mean, I think it's it's being it's being looked at. You know, I think companies like you know Google and Facebook and Amazon, really Amazon, what they're focusing on. I think they're looking at you know rolling up or rolling you know local sports content within a prime network. And I I would think that this market has to be intriguing. Well, John, I want to thank you for the time. Um, I know you've got a lot on your plate and this is a big endeavor. So I appreciate you carving out um, a few minutes. I'll personally say that as somebody you relocated here from the Northeast, having pro sports at the time, it was the Titans of the Predators was a really big factor in me feeling comfortable being here. And I know that has led to a lot of corporate relocations and I think personally spurred the growth of Nashville beyond some of the peer cities that we're next to. So I, I wish you the best of luck and I hope it happens. My My kind of final parting question we referenced this earlier, you were involved with some really big transactions, you know, the Seahawks acquisition, helping Dave Stewart buy the Marlins, et cetera. What drives you to take on these ultra complex, uh, multifaceted type of transactions? And I mean, what intrigued me about this market is when I looked at it and I saw the opportunity. I really like getting involved early and putting like the, you know, solving puzzles and putting pieces together that are required. And I just felt though the experience that I had kind of gave me a unique perspective of market. So I obviously focused on Nashville. I think it's it's possible, you know, and, you know, I think Major League Baseball should be in this market. And I think they want to be in this market. I think it's the top market in the country in addition to Vegas. So not that other markets aren't that are being considered or, or there's there's efforts, but, you know, this is a special market. I, you know, I would, my original plan was to live here for three years. You know, it's going to come here, work on this, get this done, and go do something else. But I'm never leaving. I mean, I, we purchased house in Franklin. We're staying here. We moved our offices downtown and I'm really, you know, becoming part of the community. So, you know, it's, it's a big effort. And I think at party, what I would say is that, you know, look, we need all the we can get, right? So people that could go to MLBmusicCity.com and sign up for our newsletters and our, you know, our weekly information that we share with Thursday, look at the gear that we're putting out there, the stars, national stars gear. And remember that, you know, our partnership with the museum, you know, 50% of all the net proceeds on any merchandise we sell goes to support the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. So, you know, I thank you for your time and I appreciate you, uh, you know, allowing me to you know, talk to you for the, the last half an hour. Absolutely. I think I've done 87 of these things so far. And you're the only guest that has spurred questions from the guys that I work with who are, you know, for the most part, 25-year-old sports fans. So you certainly have that population I- engaged in what you're doing, and I'll be sure to relay it. But John, I want to thank you for the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.